Hey everybody, Magnus here. I just want to give a little bit of an advisory to you guys. A little bit of a warning. Nobody told me, so I'm telling you. Whatever you guys do, don't podcast about wanting to join Swedish barbershop ensembles. That could inspire somebody to delete you off of Facebook. The utterly meaningless Facebook friendship you save could be your own. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. No! Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows, and I do it better than anybody else. But anyway. So yeah, the next several episodes are going to be all about misunderstood sequels. Basically, I plan to spend the next few weeks setting the record straight on that stuff. Now. Normally, a miniseries like this would go for six episodes, but this series is only planned to last for five, because coming soon is my epic, epic, epic 50th episode. How cool is it going to be? People, my 50th episode will be what Awesome, Amazing, and his little brother Badass listen to after a hard day at the office. That's how big everything's going to be. When my 50th episode comes out, both C.C. DeMille and Charlton Heston are both going to come back from the dead to report that Trennis Magnus Punches Reality now has a near monopoly on all things epic. Of course, that's not going to be breaking news to you long-timers, but anyway. You might ask yourself why I'm doing all this. Well, I guess you can chalk it up to me loving certain movies and wanting others to love them too. Or... Lacking that, at least acknowledge that these flicks aren't the cesspool of mediocrity that they're made out to be. And these days it's just become part of the lexicon, I guess. I mean, throughout my illustrious podcasting career, I've gone after sacred cows with torches and pitchforks on some occasions. On other occasions, I've defended what most other people consider indefensible. Some people call this being contrarian. Well, I don't know about that. I call it addressing reality. My show is called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. That means I punch reality onto all of your lame asses. On that note, it goes like this. Superman 3 rocks my socks. You see... Among fans, Superman 3 is usually thought of as the black sheep of the family. Generally speaking, Superman the movie is thought of as wonderful. Superman 2, by which I mean the real cut, the Lester cut, Superman 2 is thought of to, well, it maybe not quite as good as Superman the movie in several places, but it's good overall. And Superman 4 might have been wonderful had it not been for all the last-minute budget cuts, restrictions, and scene editing that almost destroyed the movie. But it could have been pretty good. It's just that we'll never know for sure. Superman 3, however, is generally thought of as the Superman movie that sucks. This was the movie that never had any hope of being good. The reasoning behind that's actually pretty simple. The first two movies fit together as a sort of duology. Call it 
the legend of Superman, or the origin of Superman, or, or Superman starts, or, or whatever you want, but that's basically what it is. The hero comes of age, he discovers his true purpose, he begins his never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. He gives up his powers and life of heroism to knock boots with his girlfriend, but for too long, he's forced to take his powers up again to deal with a threat that only he can handle. Superman 3, on the other hand, doesn't really have any of those things going for it. If I've, no if I've noticed nothing else in my years of fandom, it's that fan thinking tends to be very binary very black and white in nature. If something doesn't measure up to the same style and standard of its predecessors, it has to suck. Ipso facto. If it breaks away in any way, stylistically or however else, that's a problem. A very big problem. And <clears throat> let's face it, like I said, Superman 3 isn't part of the Superman legend. It's a pretty noticeable stylistic divergence. And that makes it a little bit harder to classify. It's basically just a Superman story. Nothing more, nothing less. So, when viewed on its own terms and merits, my view is that the movie actually gets better. A lot better when you don't try to force it to live up to some kind of artificial standard of perfection, you'll be amazed what, what you can appreciate. <clears throat> now, yes, those things having, having been said, there are elements of the movie that are indefensible. For example, the prolonged slapstick opening credit sequence. Ugh. But... On the whole, my view is that Superman 3 is very close in terms of uh, style and tone to pretty much any uh, average Bronze Age Superman comic. I mean, hell, you've even got a Steve Lombard character, or type of character, in Brad Wilson. Another thing. It was pretty common for Bronze Age Superman comics to throw a one-off guest star into the story. The guest star has never been seen before, He's probably never going to be seen again, but for the purposes of the story at hand, he dries a lot of the conflicts and does a lot of the heavy lifting to advance the narrative. This was a pretty common thing in a lot of done-in-one stories from the Bronze Age. That's the role that Gus Gorman has in Superman 3. He's basically there to drive Ross Webster's schemes to fruition and at the same time put Superman and Webster into confrontation with one another. That's his role to play in the script. You either recognize that Superman comics did this same exact thing quite a lot way back in the day, or you don't. And if you don't, I've noticed you tend not to be a big Superman 3 fan. Still, my argument is that Superman 3 isn't completely a standalone film. While Superman 3 doesn't explicitly follow the previous two movies in terms of plot or theme or whatever else, I think we can, we can nevertheless still extrapolate a plot point, at least here and there. Plus, it has a pretty decent through line for any Superman film. <clears throat> Superman, having loved and lost back in Superman 2, basically he is looking for comfort by returning to Smallville. Uh, specifically, it's to attend his high school reunion... But I think the real reason he goes is to reconnect with old friends, reaffirm old loyalties, and maybe, just maybe, rediscover a part of himself that he perhaps left behind in his haste to get the hell out of town and use his powers to serve humanity. And, obviously, Lana Lang is a crucial part of all that. It's interesting, though, how Lana treats both Clark and Superman. To Lana, Superman's afforded the same level of respect as a United States president. She doesn't lust over the guy. She simply admires him the same way a lot of the rest of the world probably does. Superman's not the object of Lana's desire. At the very most, the very most, Superman is just proof that Clark Kent keeps his word. Because Clark promised that Superman would attend 
Ricky's birthday party, her son Ricky. Clark promised that he'd arrange for Superman to make an appearance at Ricky's birthday party. Lana's eye is on Clark. And you get the sense that Lana isn't just looking for a stepfather for her son. She sees beyond Clark's dorky facade and sees a good, kind, honest, attainable man. He's not over-the-top macho, and he's not a jock. He's the consummate, gentle man. Clark, for his part, is just a little bewildered that someone could ever fall for his Clark Kent identity. Maybe it's because he's gone out of his way to make Clark easy for people to dismiss, or maybe it's just that he's used to dealing with a Superman groupie like Lois, but no matter what, Lana's interest in Clark comes as a big surprise to him. At the same time, though, he welcomes it because Lana Lang isn't the only person here that's nursing a broken heart. Fundamentally, Clark needs to be valued for what he brings to the table beyond the cape and the flying. Now, I've said a lot over the years that I've kind of become, well, I don't want to use the word shipper, but I'd come to support the notion of Superman ending up with Lana rather than Lois, and Superman 3 was one of my proof texts for how well that could work. Now, I guess as a companion piece to that, I love Smallville. The TV show, Smallville. Now shit, my first episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality was all about how awesome Smallville is. Still, it's got to be said that Smallville took a pretty big dump all over any potential Superman-Lana relationship. Smallville may have ruined that for good. No. Clark didn't end up with Lana in Smallville, thank God. But that really wasn't for any lack of trying after seven and a half fucking seasons, now was it? Still, Superman 3 is a good reminder of just how much juice the Superman-Lana relationship really has. So, other stuff. Does Richard Pryor take too much of the spotlight? Eh, Eye of the Beholder. He certainly has more screen time than Clark or Superman, but it should be noted that Richard Pryor does not have more screen time than Christopher Reeve overall. Speaking of which, there's nothing campy about Superman 3. Now, is Superman 3 at times a little bit whimsical and silly? Yeah, sure. But so are the Bronze Age comics. That sort of thing isn't camp. Camp is something else entirely. Don't use words you don't know the meaning of. As to other things, Ross Webster's genuinely menacing by the end of the movie. Throughout the movie, Gus Gorman is believably put upon and forced into doing things that he might otherwise have elected not to do. And, yeah, there's a veneer of humor in a lot of prior scenes, at least up to a certain point. But underneath most of those scenes is an air of, a, I guess, a, a, a greedy, disreputable overlord in Ross Webster. But that's all he is, at least to start. There comes a point, though where Ross Webster is genuinely fucking scary towards the end of the movie. He wants what he wants. He doesn't care how many people get hurt, how many people might die. Ross Webster wants what he wants. And that's sort of a counterbalance to the kind of silliness of a lot of Richard Pryor's performance in Superman 3. I think maybe the best example of that is the scene where Gus Gorman skis down a uh, skyscraper. That scene largely serves to underscore Ross Webster's rage at being foiled. He's one of the richest people in the city. He gets everything he wants, but it's not fucking enough anymore. He needs Gus Gorman to be his bitch 
and give him everything that he doesn't have. And he gets gradually more and more evil when he gets just a bit. Just a bit more. Just a bit more. Just a bit more. The more he gets, the more evil he becomes. As I say, though, by and large, the plot of Superman 3 plays out like it could have come out of any average Bronze Age Superman comic. As to technical stuff, the flying effects in Superman 3 pretty fucking much blow the doors off anything from the other Reeves Superman movies. The technicians that the Salkinds used to realize these effects had pretty much fully matured by this point, and so making a man flying was a lot simpler in 1983 than it had been in 1978. Offhand, I'm at a loss to think of even one flying shot in Superman 3 that doesn't look convincing. By contrast, for as good as Superman the movie and Superman 2 might be, there are occasional flying effects that just don't come together as smoothly as they might have. But Superman 3 doesn't have those problems. By and large, the flying effects in Superman 3 are completely fucking bulletproof. Other stuff. The music. Ken Thorne had long since replaced John Williams on the musical chores by the time of Superman 3. And if you ask me, Ken Thorne really doesn't get enough credit for a job well done. For starters, he took the Williams Planet Krypton theme and he turned that into something that was genuinely menacing when it needed to be. He did that with a lot of themes, but for my money, the Planet Krypton theme is, is the best example. That, it can be the sort of futuristic, kind of awe-inspiring sort of chorale, almost churchy kind of, kind of thing that it was uh, at the beginning of Superman 2 when Ken Thorne reprised it during the flashback to Krypton. Or it could be, as it was in Superman 3, really menacing. Now, am I saying that everything about this movie is perfect? No, of course not. Rich, as I said, Richard Pryor does go a little bit over the top sometimes. Plus, I think the overall narrative maybe could have withstood a bit more focus on Superman. Oh shit, maybe even benefited from it. Because of his star power at the time, Richard Pryor is saddled with carrying more of the story of Superman 3 than might have been absolutely necessary. There's other problems, too. The kid who plays Ricky, Lana's son, Ricky is a typical, uh, typical child actor, which is to say, not very good. Sooner or later, I don't know what the fuck happens with with these franchises, but sooner or later, invariably, they end up including some bratty kid. And it seems that even Superman isn't immune to that. Here's the thing. Ricky makes Jake Lloyd look like Lawrence fucking Olivier. But overall, Superman 3 has far more good going for it than bad. And, in my opinion, it's taken an unfair beating from fans who want it to be something that, it, that it's not, that it never intended to be, it never tried to be. If you're not a fan of Superman 3, I, I challenge you to do two things. Read more Bronze Age Superman comics and get your head out of Richard Donner's ass. Either way, give Superman 3 another look. So, I think that's basically it for Superman 3. I'm going to take a break. Be right back after these messages. On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced 
the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. not true that's impossible critics and naysayers abounded confusion reigned across fandom what'll i do what'll i do what an unusual view not to mention the first reactions to the supergirl costume i hated her so much it it the it flame flames flames on the side of my face breathing breath Heaving breaths. Heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! He likes it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky, speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. Okay, I'm back now and basically going through my discussion about Superman movies. Specifically, Superman sequels. The next item on the agenda here is Superman 4. Now, I just went on the record a second ago for being a major Superman 3 apologist. Because honestly, Superman 3 takes way too much shit from people. And mostly that comes from people who really ought to know better. I mean, hey, if Joe Schmuck Moviegoer doesn't like Superman 3... Dude, I got no beef with him. None. But when someone who's ostensibly more familiar with the comics hates on Superman 3 on the grounds that it betrays... Um... Something. Something or other from the comics. That just bugs a piss out of me. Because to me, that's usually a red flag that the person who's doing all the whining and complaining... Hasn't even fucking read the comics he says that Superman 3 betrays. As I said before, don't call yourself a purist if you aren't familiar with the source material. Asshole. All that said, though, it's a lot harder to marshal a similar type of defense for Superman 4. A lot of Superman 4's problems have to do with the budget being hacked to pieces once the ink was dry on a lot of cast members' contracts. But really, as I see it, that's only part of the story. You see, any appreciation of superheroes really has to start with the acknowledgement that they're a funhouse mirror for society. By changing the context of an idea, you can get a better understanding of that idea. Or maybe just a better understanding of the artist behind it all. I don't know. Either or, really. On that basis, there's a school of thought out there that holds to the idea that Superman, or or really any superhero, ought to confront the issues of the day in a very direct, literal fashion. Throughout the 70s and 80s, it was relatively common to see comic book heroes directly address issues like drug abuse or what have you. 
but another school of thought goes that maybe the better way to address those problems is to reframe the argument using more indirect terms, like metaphor. Star Trek, by which I mean the original series, Star Trek and the X-Men, for example, among other things, clearly dealt with issues of race by use of metaphor. Somehow, I don't know why, but somehow, it's easier for some people to understand the undiluted moral evil of racism when you use aliens or mutants or whatever as a metaphor. There's an inherent stupidity in hating a, a, an alien species for being an alien species, or hating a new subsection of the human race for being a new subsection of the human race. Shit like that cuts to the heart of the sheer ignorance behind racism. Those are just examples, but basically what I'm trying to do here is explain that those are the two basic approaches for superheroes confronting issues of the modern day. Because of that, it's kind of striking that Superman 4 doesn't use either of those approaches. Now, hear me out. It may be hard to remember it these days, but the Cold War was pretty much in its death throes by the late 80s when Superman 4 came out. The issue of nuclear disarmament was... It, it was just not a burning topic of debate at, at that time. Because, you know, people, the writing was on the wall for the Cold War in the Soviet Union. So, Superman 4 is not a timely conversation on the dangers of nuclear proliferation and the potential wisdom behind nuclear disarmament. Don't get me wrong. There was, in some sense, merit to the discussion. The issue here isn't the discussion itself, it's that the urgency of the discussion had pretty much died down since the mid to late 70s. Superman 4 wasn't about changing hearts and minds. It was more like, tell me something I don't know. But apart from that issue, well, obviously Superman 4 is just not a very well-made film. Look, the actors give it their best shot, but the final product is a reminder to us that even the best performers can't overcome a weak director, an overzealous editor, an overly stingy uh, group of producers, a shitty budget, and stuff like that. Oddly enough, though, the comic book adaptation of Superman 4 is a major improvement over the film. But even still, the Superman 4 comic is just a fucking weird thing. Now, all's well on the cover. You've got solid Jerry Ordway art. It's just, a, fuck, it's a gorgeous cover. And you've also got the mighty Kurt Swan rocking a significant chunk of the interior art. Now, here's the thing. I owned the, uh, the Superman 4 comic book when I was a kid. And between this and the Earth Stealers, I became acquainted with Kurt Swan and his art when... By all rights, I should have been obsessively drooling over the latest offerings from John Byrne or Dave Cockrum or early, early, early Todd McFarlane. Still, nostalgia only takes you so far. And I have to acknowledge that Swan's art contributes to some of the issue's awkwardness. This adaptation came out in 1987 pretty much right at the same time as the movie itself. To put it another way, this was right around the time John Byrne was picking up steam after his 1986 reboot of Superman in the comics. And yet, the Superman 4 adaptation treats us to the pre-crisis comic book version of Jor-El, and I, that includes the guy's headband. It's the pre-crisis comic book version of Jarrell, headband and all. As if that wasn't enough. Another considerable proportion of the issue featured art, and I use that in the loosest terms, art from Don Heck, who by that point was long past his prime, if he ever had one. Now, look, 
I've never been an admirer of, uh, of Don Heck, even under the best of circumstances, but his awkward, stilted, third-string, late-70s Marvel light style really clashes like hell with the, the mighty Kurt Swan's gorgeous illustrative approach. Beyond that, though... You know, I don't think the writing is any vast improvement over the film. Yeah, sure, we get we get the deleted scenes from the film, and yeah, they do a lot to flesh out the missing elements of the story. For example, just why the hell was Nuclear Man in love with Lacey Warfield? Why did Nuclear Man pimp into downtown Metropolis and start tearing shit apart searching for Lacey? Well... The comic has the answers to those questions. Still, at the end of the day, Bob Rosakis is stuck following the Superman 4 script, and so we poor readers are left alone to confront the reality that, you know, budget cuts or not, some ideas of Superman 4 were just really fucking poorly conceived. Prosecutions Exhibit A. The first failed nuclear man. Just from a sheer aesthetic point of view, what the fuck? The other thing, though, is the adaptation deletes Superman's address to the United Nations and then his promise to rid the world of all nuclear weapons. Now, I can understand that a lot of that scene's charm in the, in the film comes from the pure sincerity that's dripping off of Christopher Reeve's voice. Even so... That UN moment, that's arguably the pivotal scene of the whole film. <clears throat> that moment is where everything in the plot that took place before, that's where everything else was going. And from that moment, everything that happens later in the movie comes from. That's how fucking important the United Nations scene is. And honestly, you'd think a writer like Rizakis who, in my opinion, that's a guy who's usually a force to be reckoned with when it comes to storytelling. I'm, I am not bashing on Bob Rosakis. I am a Bob Rosakis fan. And it's actually for that reason that you'd think that a writer of his caliber would recognize how important the UN moment is and include at least some kind of an abbreviated version of that scene. But he doesn't. Anyway. Overall... The adaptation is better than Superman 4 as a final movie. It's just that being better than Superman 4 as a movie really isn't saying a whole lot. So anyway. Alright, well, that's pretty much it for this segment. I'm going to take a break. Be right back after these messages. Sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. Oh, shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. 
No, you shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Okay, I'm back now, continuing my discussion, my sort of look back, you might say, on almost all of the Superman movies I haven't yet discussed. Now, in my fifth episode, I took Superman 2 to task for a lot of flaws and shortcomings it has that nobody ever talks about. You see, it pisses me right off because half the gripes and criticisms that people have against Man of Steel, Smallville, Lois and Clark, and other things are on display. They're all in Superman 2, loud and fucking proud, but for whatever reason, we're not allowed to talk about it. And it pisses me off because that's a double standard. And if there's one thing I hate, it's anchovies. But if there are two things I hate, double standards are in there too. There's no need for a double standard. One will do just nicely. But for as many double standards as there are for Superman 2 in general, and there are a ton of them, nothing comes higher than Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, for having more bullshit excuses made for it. Nothing. Nothing at all. The intellectual dishonesty going on amongst fans of Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, just fucking defies words. You know what I mean? I mean, look, all right. One line of bullshit I've heard is that the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 is superior to the Lester cut. And just to clarify here, I don't mind the argument itself. People are entitled to an opinion. Even if it's stupid and absolutely fucking wrong, they're entitled to believe what they want to believe. What irks me, though is that the Richard Donner cut has the ultimate trump card to play at any time. The ultimate excuse. It's unfinished. I'll come back to that in just a minute, believe me. But I just want you to salt that away for the moment. The movie's unfinished, and that's at the heart of a shitload of excuses for it. But before discussing the bad, it seems really only fair to summarize the good. So shall we? The first act plays out pretty well and obviously ties itself more directly to the events of Superman the movie. For reasons of his own, with which I neither agree nor disagree, I simply accept, Richard Lester decided to separate his cut from the events of Superman the movie and I guess you might say a little bit of a more immediate type of fashion. Now, the title, Superman 2 Alone, should tell you that this is indeed a sequel, but in terms of being a follow-up to Superman the movie, it just doesn't really feel like it is in the Lester cut. But Mario Puzo conceived of a big two-part film, and Richard Donner retained that structure when he and Tom Menke Wetzis took over. And believe me, that comes home loud and clear in the first maybe five or ten minutes of the Richard Donner cut. That said, while the Donner cut opener is good, honestly, I prefer the Paris Rescue from Richard Lester's cut. This is a superhero film. It's an action film. And it pays to bring Superman to the fore as quickly as possible. Especially since, when you really think about it, we don't really see very much of Superman in the film as it is. But what the Donner Cut does give us is a pretty effective method of releasing the, the criminals from the Phantom Zone. You gotta admit, it is interesting, at least a little bit, to see how Richard Donner intended for the job to get done. Which again, owes back to 
the Richard Donner cuts more direct ties to Superman the movie. But it's like so much else with the Donner cut. For every cool moment that's restored, it seems like there's an accompanying just moment of shit that goes with it. Yeah, the missile Superman threw into outer space in Superman the movie is what freed the criminals, thereby enabling the most clumsy and stilted wire shot of either film as the villains just kind of float and bobble awkwardly through space. And here's the thing. This isn't the type of you know moment that you can no-prize and say, well... The villains just didn't really know how to fly, so of course they're going to bumble... Fucking bullshit, okay? They seem to master flying pretty fucking easily once they landed on Earth. Alright? That moment when they escape from the Phantom Zone, it's bad fucking effects. There's no excuse that you can make that's going to somehow make it other than bad fucking effects. It sucks. The wire work in, the, in those shots, they suck deal with it. Something else, though. The minute that they escape from the Phantom Zone, you've got Zod shouting, and it's perfectly audible in the vacuum of space. Gee, I sure hope Superman 4's myriad naysayers were paying attention here. God knows Superman 4 got ripped apart for people speaking out loud in outer space. Speaking of double standards, there's one for you. Zod can shout, free, free! No big deal. Because, hey, Richard Donner's directing it. But when it happens again in Superman 4, ooh, bad. Anyway, another thing. Lois figures out the secret, that is to say Clark's secret, because she's sharp and observant. Now, it plays into her character that she sees beyond Clark's carefully built disguise as Clark. She didn't become top dog at the Daily Planet for nothing, but here's the gripe. As John Byrne so eloquently put it, in order for the Clark Kent disguise to work as a disguise... Either Clark Kent is the consummate actor, or Lois Lane is a frickin' idiot. In taking the tack that he did, Donner undercuts Superman's skills at disguise. It's not a huge thing, but it's still worth noting. To me, though, the pink elephant in the room is basically everything in the Fortress of Solitude. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's great seeing the restored Brando footage. But, at the same time, there is no finer example out there, at least that I'm aware of, that so effectively illustrates the difference between footage and scenes. For starters, Christopher Reeve's performances in all of the movies, 1, 2, 3, and 4, Christopher Reeve's performance is top-notch. There are moments where maybe the material might have been beneath him. Although I'd argue about that. Just because he might have struggled with believing in some of it doesn't mean it's unworthy of Superman, but I digress. There may have been times when the, the material was less than Christopher Reeve deserved, but even so, he was usually a professional and did his job to the best of his abilities except in the Fortress of Solitude scenes and the Donner cut. I'm sorry, but his acting in those scenes is just weak fucking sauce. Reeves better than that. Now, I've got nothing to base this on. What I'm about to say is complete speculation and conjecture on my part. Don't give it any more credibility than that. But my theory here is that Christopher Reeve's lackluster performance in those Fortress of Solitude scenes comes from Donner already feeling the pinch in the production schedule. Basically, Superman the movie and Superman 2 were shot at the same time, and there came a point when just the amount of work that needed to get done, it was just unfeasible. So production was halted on Superman 2 so that everyone could focus their energies on finishing Superman the movie. 
what I'm going to do then is guess that from the get-go, Donner figured that he'd shoot the Superman 2 scenes with uh, Christopher Reeve and Marlon Brando in the Fortress as placeholders and then come back to him later when he had more time. That's all they were supposed to do. Just enable his rough cut. They were never supposed to see the light of day. Everything that we see in the Fortress of Solitude in Richard Donner's Superman 2, he was planning to reshoot that. That's why Christopher Reeve's scenes are just so fucking weak. Christopher Reeve's a good actor. Especially when it comes to Superman. It just seems... It, it just fucking defies probability that... He, uh, of all the things in the movie that he might have fucked up, it just happens to be the one time he and Marlon Brando share a scene together. Like, physically, on set. I just don't fucking buy it. I think Richard Donner just basically rushed through those scenes so that... He could review them later on in post-production or maybe pre-production for going back into Superman 2, figure out what he needed those scenes to do that maybe they weren't doing, and then fix them once he got back on set. You understand? The Richard Donner scenes in the uh, Fortress of Solitude between Superman and, and Jor-El, my theory is that we were never fucking supposed to see those. Those were never supposed to see the light of day. He just banged them out so that he could work, fix them up later on. That's my theory. Either that or else, like I said, Christopher Reeve was overestimated as a performer. But I just can't convince myself of that. To me, the easier thing to believe is that Richard Donner rushed through those scenes and we were never supposed to see them. That's that. But... The other aspect of the Fortress of Solitude scenes is actually Marlon Brando himself. Much has been said by Tom Menke Whatsis in particular about the importance of the father-son dynamic in those scenes and in Superman 2 in general. The argument goes that, or at least the argument went, that once we saw the restored scenes, we'd see a clearer story arc that deepened both Superman and Jor-El as characters. Here's the thing. I, for one, don't fucking see it. Frankly, Jarrell had set up monumentally high expectations of his son, and bet your ass he expected his son to fulfill them. And honestly, Jarrell and Superman really do butt heads over his decision to renounce his powers in the Donner Cut. Here's the rub, though. That just isn't a father-son story. I don't give a damn what anybody says. It just doesn't play very well. In literature, father-son conflicts are usually defined by philosophical or, fuck, maybe even physical struggles before a point of mutual respect and reconciliation is reached. That is impossible w within the dramatic framework of Superman the movie and Superman 2. It just doesn't work. But a mother and son dynamic in literature, those are predicated upon grace and forgiveness. Inserting Susanna York into the Lester cut brings the whole thing across so much more smoothly. Because ultimately, it's not about some generic parent-son struggle. It's about a parent allowing a son to make his own choices and then correspondingly learn from his own mistakes, and then forgiving him for his errors in judgment. The only real way to get there is with a mother-son story arc. It's not just that the Lester version is better in this respect. To me, it's that the Lester version is more honest with the material. So, there are other things I could mention, but altogether... The Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 will always be, as somebody from the Digital Bits website put it, the, the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 is always going to be the ultimate deleted scene. Richard Lester's cut of Superman 2 is, was, and will always be the cut of Superman 2 as far as I'm concerned. The Richard Lester cut is canonical. The Richard Donner cut, it's just an interesting curiosity. What might have been?
But it's certainly no match for the Richard Lester cut, and that leads me back to the central issue with the idea that the Donner cut is somehow better. Okay, whatever. You're entitled to feel that way, I guess, but one of the things I've noticed is that pointing out any of the criticisms and shortcomings that I've mentioned so far is always, universally, 100% of the fucking time greeted with, but, 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 the Donner Cut is unfinished. Okay, fine. Motherfucker, it's unfinished. You know what that means? That means you can't compare a completed film, i.e. Superman 2, to an unfinished film, which is to say the Donner Cut. That means one cannot be better than the other. But if your argument is that the Richard Donner cut is somehow better than the Lester cut, that means that all of the criticisms and shit that I've mentioned up to now, those things are on the table, and motherfucker, it's open season. Trust me, the comparison doesn't favor the Richard Donner cut, even if we skip all the bullshit that sincerely isn't Richard Donner's fault. Does this make sense? Do you understand what I'm telling you? If you're going to argue that the Richard Donner cut's better, that means that I get to make any fucking comparison between those two movies that I want, as they are. Something that's unfinished in the Richard Donner cut? Motherfucker, not my problem. You're the one that gets to defend that, and you don't get to be able, you don't get to, be able to use the excuse, hey, it's not finished. Hey, I'm, well, motherfucker, I'm not the one that's making the argument that somehow one is better than the other. Or at least, I, well, I guess I am. But I'm not saying that it's the, the shit version that's better, the incomplete version. That's your position. Defend it. You don't get to use excuses. Like that the Richard Donner cut is unfinished, and that means you can't compare the two. Well, motherfucker, that doesn't stop you from saying that the Richard Donner cut's better than the Lester cut, so fucking make up your mind. Which is it? Pick a side and stick to it. But you don't get to turn around and make excuses later on. Fuck. All right, so that's enough of that shit. I'm going to take a break and have a cigarette before I have a fucking heart attack. Be back in just a bit. Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Ben Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie? Or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper, especially the old ones. Whoa, those things. Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books, especially the old ones. I like them so much I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists, story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at twotruefreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes, the world actually did exist long before Twitter. My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website, and listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones. together.
from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth, are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S M-A-G-N-U-S Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link Donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>